You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. I'm Daniel Janine, uh, producer. Amanda, what do we have in the pipeline for today? Today, we are talking to Bill Esparza. He is a food writer out of Los Angeles, an expert in Mexican cuisine. And we are talking to him about a big trend we have been seeing across the United States, which is the rapid rise in birria taco trucks. So... As you probably know, Daniel, birria is a very traditional Mexican dish. It's from pre-Hispanic mm-hmm. times. Uh, it came to Tijuana after the prohibition and uh, in the form of beef birria. And that's the kind of birria we're seeing now everywhere across the U.S. And it's really, it's really grown quite a bit. I mean, we had a piece out of Texas yesterday about how many new trucks have popped up in Austin. Uh, anyway, really cool to talk to him. Talk to him about what it's like seeing this thing that he saw grow from, you know, just a or or a very traditional thing in Mexico into and, and get essentially like LAified. And then we're going to talk about what's going on in the world of food and restaurants, including restaurants dealing with the vaccine. We've got some uh, interesting. We've got some stuff to talk about with the Super Bowl ad, but we will get to it all after Bill. We have Bill Esparza, uh, who is an expert in all things Mexican food and beyond uh, out of Southern California. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Dan. First question, what is birria and what are these queso birria tacos that we're seeing? Okay. Well, birria is a traditional mix- Mexican dish. That's, uh, it's, a, it's a pre-Hispanic uh, technique. So the word birria means uh, something messy, a grotesque thing. So birria is the name given to this pre-Hispanic uh, preparation where meat is cooked in an, an adobo that's made from chiles and spices, and it's got a little bit of, uh, of uh, acid in there. It could mm-hmm. be vinegar, it could be citrus. And, and the, the meat is rubbed, and then it's roasted, and then the drippings are used to make a stock, now, traditionally, that was done in the ground, but today it's in, in the, the greatest birria tradition in Jalisco. It's done in ovens, and it's all and steamed in various different ways. Um, but uh, what you're gonna, if you go to Jalisco, you're going to get a plate of you, – you're going to choose your goat cuts, and then you're going to get your either consomme poured on top or you're mm-hmm. going to get it on the side, or you can get it in tacos with consomme on the side. In Tijuana – it's done in a pot, and it's more like a, a, a rich stew. Yeah. And um, people there usually have it in tacos, or they have it in a cup with some of the meat inside. And they don't really do plates there because it's more of a street food. And you know your tacos are all wet from the consomme and and dredged through the salsa, so you get that red redness on the tortilla. 
those are the, the, the two main ways you get birria. Is the meat typically shredded? Well, no, it's cooked whole and then it's chopped up by the taquero. Okay. You know? And what are you, what are you seeing most uh, frequently in American versions? Well, in America, we're doing the Tijuana style, but we're doing, yeah. but we have a full taqueria menu here. And, and, and so we're not just following the Tijuana tradition of just tacos and just a cup. Right. We are, we have tortas, we have uh, ramen with, with <laughs> right, birria. Right. we have uh, molitas, uh, which are, which you have like a, you know, some people call it like a tortilla, like a taco sandwich. It's two tortillas, a, t- a tortilla on the bottom, tortilla on the top with cheese. We're doing quesavirrias. We're doing, um, gosh, we even have birria pizza here. You know, I mean, it's, it, we, we go all the way with, with, uh, with birria. That's, that's different. Oh, that's, that's like, you know, it's a breakfast, right? In, it's like in vampires going out in the sunlight. You're not <laughs> supposed to do it. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's a breakfast to, I mean, basically the, in Tijuana, everybody stopped selling birria by noon or 1 PM, depending on how fast they sell out even earlier, but yeah. they open at six in the morning, seven in the morning, and they go till they sell out and they're done. They disappear. There's no more birria until the next day in LA. You can go have dinner and sit down in a restaurant. That's crazy. How did, how did then this go from Tijuana to Southern California, Northern California, all over the place? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it grew in, in Tijuana, but it's always been through the community of the poblanos, especially from this, uh, these small towns kind of outside of, uh, Azucar de Matamoros, which is the, which was the, the town that has the only hospital and bank for the, all these little communities. Yeah. Quatzingo is the town that a lot of these people came from. There's a, a truck named Teddy's Red Tacos in LA and another one called uh, Birria Gonzalez. And Gonzalez started in 2000, 2013 and they're connected. They actually are, their families are from Quatzingo, but those two trucks really are the, you know, the center of this whole thing. Everybody's jumping in because there's all kinds of money to be made selling <laughs> birria de res. And why do, you, why do you think it took until 2013 for this to become a thing in Los Angeles? Because, I mean, you've been covering this, the taco scene in LA for forever. There just was no market for it. But I think what sort of happened is, is instead of just selling traditional birria de res, uh, Teddy's and, and uh, Gonzalez, is what they did was they sort of put the Tijuana Canesada taqueria menu into their truck because if you just sell tacos and 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 cups on the street cups of of consomme with meat you're not really going to get the la audience but what they did was by doing tortas doing molitas doing quesavirrias which also was created in tijuana and kind of offering a full menu of different products but just using the same meat um it really appealed to people but also it's social media and their their own. Right. I mean, it was just really their personal collect, uh, connection with the Mexican community and other Latino communities in LA that just like got excited about it. And then everybody you talk to people like, oh my God, I want to try. I've never had birria de res. I've been hearing about it. One thing I wanted to ask about is the cheese element because that's what I've seen a lot of on social media. The queso birria, and you said that in Tijuana they serve that, but was that the main event there? Because some of these places, like that's what they're really promoting is this cheesy 
thing that you did that you dip also in the bowl of consomme, which I don't know if that was tradition. Quesa tacos in general have always been a thing, right? But it really took off more here, where you you cannot have a truck and do birria de res and not have cheese. Okay, it's just it's just more. I would say it's more become a what you see on the trucks, the quesavirria, the birria ramen, you know, the mm -hmm. uh, all the different sort of iterations of birria that you see on, on trucks now. That started with Teddy's and um, Gonzalez, Ferreria Gonzalez. So it's really more of a LA thing. What, what you see here also is um, Stan's opening just doing quesavirria, sort of like yeah. they're going to focus on that. But mm -hmm. I mean, Ted, I think it was when I was interviewing uh, one of the Gonzalez brothers, he said, you know, we, we just did it because people in L.A. love cheese. And when he, when, he said, <laughs> when, he, when he said people in L.A., he was talking about the, the Mexican and Mexican-American community. Mm -hmm. People are, we, we like cheese. No, yeah, everyone <laughs> likes cheese. I mean, it's a, it's a good business decision. And, so, no, it's and not. And tell it's, me about <laughs> the, the dip. Well, the dipping started with L.A., too. And that was an Instagram <laughs> okay. thing. Yeah, and and in Tijuana, you don't, you know the the uh, the funny thing when I was talking to Teddy was that he says that everybody in in Tijuana, all the poblanos there, are pissed off at him because they think they're like he's ruining the the tradition. I'm thinking, wait wait a minute, you, you guys, bastardized like, it. Like Tijuana hardly has any traditions because it's an it was a new development right. after after prohibition. So most of its traditions mm -hmm. come from other places, and you know Caesar salad and. Puerto Nuevo lobster and things like that. But it's like, how, how are you guys getting offended about innovation when you're all, but yes, they give him a lot of uh, flack about putting purple onions. That's like crazy to them that, you know, you don't put purple onions and you're supposed to wrap it in paper. You don't, you know, Teddy doesn't wrap it in paper like they do down there. And so all those things that are happening in the dipping, they're like, you're ruining, you're ruining our tacos. You know, they don't do that. They don't do the dipping in Tijuana. But what's funny now is my friend um, Javier Placencia, the chef, he said that people are coming into his restaurant now in Tijuana and asking for a consomme so they can dip so the tacos. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, it is. It's, it's crazy. What was it like when you first started to see the dip on Instagram? Oh, for me personally, you know, I love, I, I mean, here's what's, I, I think it's funny because I don't know if you, um, know what the word birria means, but it means like a filthy mess. Oh, okay. So it's kind of funny to me that this dish that, you know, it's means something ugly, something grotesque. And because of the, you know, this mess you make when you make it, when you create the dish that has become a beautiful, uh, Instagrammable uh, mm -hmm. picture, you know? And so they found a way to do it because if you just look at a plate of birria, you know, it's, it was never blowing up on Instagram, just a, a plate of, of goat on, a, you right. know, sitting there swimming in its con consomme. But <laughs> the idea of this, this tortilla dunking, yeah. it just, to me, it made me happy because I, I like that the, the local Chicano and Mexican and Latinx communities are able to now capitalize on a social media. And yeah, and, that's where I stand on this kind of and thing. And being entrepreneurs. And you know, it was kind of like 10 years ago when like Kogi and all those trucks first came out, they sort of stole a Kogi lot being of the, the, uh, the Korean, the, the Korean tacos and, and all the sort of what people were calling gourmet 
trucks was really, you know, kind of a, a slight to the traditional Mexican trucks that had been around forever. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't wrapped and they were they weren't using social media. And as soon as Twitter took off, all those trucks uh, were really doing well. There was, you know, every, you were hearing about the news every day, like the grilled cheese truck, the Kogi truck, all these different uh, trucks that were that were on television, uh, yeah. doing races. And then and then <laughs> and, I, and you looked at the Mexican community and they were really slow. The vendors were really slow to adapt to Twitter, but like Instagram is, you know, young, young Latinos, young Mexicans are all over Instagram and TikTok. And yeah, it's a lot of the the children, like the second generation. They're killing it. I mean, these vendors, some of them have 150,000 followers on Instagram. And so, and the, and you know, Teddy's red tacos ended up in a Super Bowl commercial. So I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, these guys are, are making bank. (laughs) <laughs> ones that are successful and even the ones that are on the fringes are doing better than others right. because everybody wants to dunk their taco on yeah. Instagram. The thing is also like as from a flavor profile, it's, it's certainly not, uh, it's certainly not out there, right? Like it reminds no. you of a lot of food that you probably have eaten already. Like it's, it's not no, it, this, it, the soupy mess of it can either be framed as a soupy mess or an exciting thing, and it's wonderful that it is now considered an exciting thing. Well, it's it's really a, a it's a quintessential um, Mexican flavor. It's what yeah. everybody wants. When everybody thinks of Mexican food, that's what they want. Now, the 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 birria itself is not spicy, hot, but it's got the 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 richness of the chiles. Yeah, and they're they're getting all those other things they want. They want the they want to put cilantro and onions and lime right. on there too. And and you're eating. And we like that. toppings over here. Yeah, and so it's really it it. It encapsulates really like Mexican culture. There's nothing more Mexican than birria. You can argue, you know, there's there's 31 regions in Mexico, and they have foods people know that no one's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And and people are like, well, is that Mexican? I don't know. Is that is a Caesar salad feel Mexican to you? To me, it is because it's from Mexico, you know. But to birria, everybody understands that that's Mexican food. You know? How do you view this in in the framework of like an explosive trend rather than something that you know intimately? Like, how do you see these? What do you think about these waves of a certain dish becoming popular online and then spreading all over the country? Uh, is it exciting? Do you worry that like then there's then a moment where it starts to dip or? Or yeah, how do you think about this? No, I, I I think I think birria first of all has always been popular, and but it was more right. popular with certain people from certain parts of Mexico, and not now it's for everybody. I, I feel like it's here to stay, and I, I'd say as a writer, what what I'm most concerned with is making sure we keep the story on the real deal. I, I think as long as we're focusing on the people that are doing it right, that are from the communities, that um, are really Mm-hmm. making great food as well. And I think that's, that's, I think in the past, that was always a concern is you always saw, you know, food, any, any, any food that becomes popular is in danger of being appropriated. And I feel like this can't be, <laughs> you know, right. it's really, it really belongs. It's, it's the first Mexican food trend or not, maybe not the first, but it's one of the, the, Mexican food trends that really belongs to that community that belongs to Mexican community and it belongs to the specific Mexican communities that are known for that dish. And that's what we're seeing out there. And to me, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, Mexican food 
has been popular in America for a long time and many aspects, but now we're seeing actually more traditions, more, yeah. more that are, that are strong Mexican traditions becoming mainstream culture. And I think that's, I, I'm all for it. That's the most exciting part to me. I mean, I think I, uh, yeah, I mean, where I typically stand on this kind of thing is the more people talking about it, the better. I know that that sometimes comes with downsides, but the, in my opinion, the more people talking about it, the better. But the way I see this, and I think a very, I think an aspect of this that I'm excited about is if these trucks and not just the trucks, but people in general, the more they feel comfortable and excited about cooking the food that they grew up with and food, especially that they were worried wouldn't be as viable from an economic perspective. The second they see that, oh, people now want, even if it's tacky, people are yeah. like, what's the food you grew up with? That's what we want to eat. That's just a net great thing because A, that food is going to be better and B, it opens us up to people's like homes. And so to me, that that's really exciting. So I think there's so much opportunity to be cynical about Instagram, about, you know, the appropriation aspect of it. But the buzz, the buzz is always good, I think, when it comes to food. Yeah. And it's good to have the, you know, I mean, it's always interesting when you do a Birria article that people, you know, people and even Mexican communities here in, in LA and the United States are from different parts. Some mm -hmm. are have been here for so many generations and you have the different uh, disconnects. But this is a way to connect and learn because sometimes, I mean, a lot of times, you know, some of my uh, friends that are Mexican chefs and restaurant owners said some of the hardest crowds they have to deal with are their own people. And part of it is, you know, you could be from a different part of Mexico and have a different experience and not even know your own food. You might, right. you might, you might be from Jalisco but you've been here for three generations or four generations and haven't gone back and you're not connected. And even if you're from there, maybe you left as a, as a nine-year-old, the food evolves there. It changes. Yeah. The taste change there. And so it's just different ways. Things of change. People share. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think having the discussion, even though sometimes people get pissed off, like, I, you know, I saw some comments on the, like, you know, Oh wow. Like it just got discovered, but they didn't read the article and, and realize that we traced it back to the, to the 1950s in the article and like if you read the article <laughs> talking about a specific story of these two vendors and yeah. how this how they brought this and and yes it it, it hit a i guess peak birria in los angeles in 2018 <laughs> but i'd say that that last year was when it really went across the nation yeah. and even i saw that they're doing it in canada so 2020 is you know i think we framed that right and it's a great discussion. Birria is the biggest thing to happen in 2020, I would say. Yeah. And it's great that the Mexican community and Mexican communities yeah. are having the discussion about like, you know, if, even if they're getting pissed off about, no, you know, no, it should be goat or it should be lamb, whatever right. they think. I think that's those are it, it's cool to see that. And it's cool that for some of them that they might learn about other parts and maybe they'll go back and check it out and make some money and make yeah make some money and it is i mean i don't think it's unfair to say that the lululemon crowd the lululemon crowd just discovered birria like that is not wrong and you know that it doesn't mean it hasn't been made for a long time yeah i mean it's like, it's a pre-hispanic technique the yeah. the idea of birria the technique is a pre-hispanic technique and and they were doing they were cooking that way long before you know uh there was goat even, you know, no, I, 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 uh, I'm not tired of it. I, I like the idea that it's a, it's a marketable thing. Um, 
And I was, I'm, I'm glad that we, we were able to talk about it in a different way than just doing a, a birria list or something like that that everybody's doing. And, yeah. Or the big story is, oh, birria has arrived to our town. That's the big breaking yeah. news story <laughs> right now. You know? Yeah. Birria has arrived. Is it here to stay? Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and the, I'd say we have about a couple more years of those headlines. You know, people, people complain. I think it's awesome. Um, I, you know, obviously, if I go to a stand, I want it to be good. I don't want to eat mediocre birria. Well, Bill, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Where can people find your writing or your... Well, I'm, I'm at uh, Course Eater LA and Eater National. And I'm on all social media. I am Street Gourmet LA, Street Gourmet LA on uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, <laughs> Snapchat. <laughs> on Twitter, don't go there because right now, you know, it's been a lot of politics over there. But, but if you want to see food stuff and see what I'm doing in the food world, it's mostly, I'd say, Instagram is the best place. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Amanda, we're back. Let's let's move on to other stories of varying importance. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the one of the things I think that I heard most about last week's show was people were just shocked that Starbucks was that Starbucks and the vaccine would even be in the same conversation, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I think that to catch people up, uh, Washington State asked Starbucks for their help to help facilitate vaccine um, efficiency. 
Yeah. In terms of in terms of delivering it. And we haven't heard. We don't have new any new news on that. But I think people were just shocked. I don't know. I think people are like a little bit <laughs> worried that like. I think you could go either you could go two ways on this. On one hand, you'd be like excited that they would talk to the people who were best at lines. And on the other hand, mm-hmm. you'd be like, man, I wish that they could that they didn't need the help of a food business to do this life saving thing. But uh, yeah, people were just shocked to hear that Starbucks and the vaccine. You know, unprecedented go times. You gotta you gotta have the private sector help out a bit. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I think it's the best. Talk to talk to the experts. Talk to Absolutely. the line experts. Get Disney but involved, you know? There's a story out of Mount Pleasant in South Carolina where Mayor Will Haney called in a guy, I guess he knew who was the mayor, uh, the manager of the Chick-fil-A who came mm-hmm. in to help with a, uh, a drive-through situation. So the, the restaurants are getting involved with uh, the... <laughs> With the vaccine, for better or for worse. I mean, I think, you know, if, if you've got a I bunch of people lining up in a car, yeah, move them through. You know what they should do to reward chicken? This part of the private sector? No. Oh. Uh, let restaurant workers get vaccinated ahead of everyone else. Not everyone else, but expedite, expedite that class of workers. Yeah, I really thought you were going to say that Chick fil A should just be like vaccine and then a sandwich. <laughs> sure. I mean, if that's, if we get to the point where, the demand does not outstrip the supply. Mm-hmm. Add some incentives, my friend. Uh, I think we will get to that point sooner than people think, but who knows? Uh, in other Eventually, news, we will. We'll definitely get there. Yes, in other news. What's up? What's happening? Uh, well, just a quick note. Um, we've been talking about how restaurant, large restaurant groups are going to incentivize their employees to get the vaccine. Olive Garden announced that they will offer paid sick leave for all employees in the process of getting Great. it. In other big news this week, Daniel... Michelin announced their new stars for London and I believe Paris. Uh, They have been releasing stars throughout this period of time, which has been befuddling to me. It really surprised me with London, I have to say, because maybe I've just been following that scene a little more closely than other scenes, but they've been in a pretty dramatic lockdown for a lot of the year. I mean, they they had, you know, a, a big opening in the summertime, like a lot of other cities, but Restaurants have not really been yeah. open there most of the time. I think, yeah, that's entirely true. But the question is, like, we've talked about this at, at nauseum, but I think as long as you're giving stars and not taking away, it's probably a net benefit. Obviously, they haven't had nearly We haven't nearly talked about enough. it at, at nauseum, have we? Well, I mean, I feel like... Have we, we talked t- about Michelin on the show? We've talked about Michelin on the, t- on the show. Post-COVID? Uh, no, no, not post-COVID. Michelin oh. has been in the rearview mirror. But did they take stars away from... Oh, from... they did. They did. It was a bloodbath? Not a bloodbath, but they took stars. But also, even if you're not taking away stars, what's the point? Because you're just, what, everybody gets stars? That seems silly. COVID why don't you stars? Just like, yeah. Why don't you just put it on pause for a year and then reevaluate when things are back open? Um, I mean, I know the answer. They have a business to run, but... They definitely took stars. There were some exciting things, though, right? Like there were a few restaurants promoted to the three star category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were they're cool people. Claire Smith, uh, her restaurant core by Claire Smith got elevated to three stars. She also earned three stars when she was working at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant. So that is a really big deal to be able to get three stars again at a different spot. Um, Helene not DeRose, a not a fluke at the Conant. It's exciting. I'm just looking at the restaurant scene 
living in a city where we've been on various forms of lockdown, I just can't imagine bestowing stars in this world. Like how can you eat, how can you evaluate the excellence of a restaurant right now, given the duress that they are under and the limited ability they have to be open. It's also kind of a bummer. Like I'm really happy that Claire Smith got the third star. That seems great, but it's kind of a bummer to get it now. And imagine getting that call right now. You just like can't leave your apartment and it's like, hello, this is Michelin. And, and then, like, what like, happens next year? Do they take it away? If you don't, like, you have to now be like, okay, let's <laughs> let's maintain this level of excellence. But what were we, what were we doing last year? Yeah, what level struggling? of excellence? Like, is this third star for my grocery store concept? Right. What she's been limited to takeout for at least two months. Okay, Daniel, there is some interesting news this week that the mayor of Washington D.C. wants to make drinking in public. Uh, legal and with some major caveats so we have gabe hyatt our editor from dc on the show today to explain what's going on here hey gabe hey how you doing great so what what is in this proposition this proposal so um it is about drinking in public but with a lot of rules and only in specifically designated areas so what she's proposing to our city sorry gabe can i pause you for a sec yeah, sorry, too long. No, no, it's great. I just I just have to note that for some not for some reason, but I've never been excited to hear a list of rules before in my entire <laughs> life. Like what are, what are the caveats? Like draw like draw it out. I wanna know specifics. I wanna yeah, I'm I'm just amped. Um okay, so Drinking in public, I'd say we have to reframe how we think about public because these are publicly accessible spaces, um, but it's not like New Orleans where you're just on the street cracking your own beers, drinking whatever, like a open air bacchanalia. That's not what's happening here. Um, What she is proposing is a way to help restaurants and bars and hotels and basically any business that can sell alcohol. They want to create these licenses um, that will be a special license for mixed-use developments or commercial centers, basically anywhere. Think like an open-air mall or a big development where um, there's a big concentration of bars and restaurants and hotels in one place. And what this license would do would be allow you to walk around with a drink in your hand from place to place or sit in an open-air area and drink. But what it does restrict is you're not allowed to bring your own alcohol inside. So it's not like you can just drink whatever on the street like you might Mm. be doing um, in Europe. And, um, you know, you have to buy alcohol from one of these businesses. So whatever restaurant sells you the drink, they'll have their own plastic or non-glass cup that's clearly marked in a way that shows whatever enforcement officer is there this one is Mm a-okay for you to walk around and drink. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of limitations and there's also an 11 p.m. cutoff time for weekdays, midnight on weekends. Um, So you're not going to be out there at last call drinking outside. But what it does do is incentivize people to come to these areas and give them the opportunity to drink as you shop or drink as you bar hop and be outside and and feel a little bit of freedom within these clearly drawn lines. 
And is the idea that this would happen sooner rather than later? Is this like going to be more of a summertime? Yeah, I think um, I am not 100% familiar with the gears of government in the pace at which they churn. But I'll say I would expect this to take a couple months because um, as I've read it described, um, this is not like an emergency measure for the pandemic. Mm -hmm. This is a reopening measure for recovery that Mm -hmm. would actually be permanent. So what needs to happen is um, the D.C. City Council, they're going to have two different votes on this and debate on it and tweak it and change it in between and hear feedback from the public about people who, you know, don't want pets allowed or want more noise restrictions or whatever. So there's going to be some changes to this. And I would imagine at the very least, it's going to take a few months, but there's a chance that by the time it's summer and more people are vaccinated and maybe people are starting to come out of their hermit crab shells a little bit, um, this could be an added boost. So just so I know, like in in Austin, there are designated streets where there's a lot of bars where you can drink on the street, I believe. Is this like that? Like if they're in hot zones, will you be able to drink on actual like government property or is this all kind of a general license for private, giant private properties? I think it's probably closer to the latter. The language here specifically says mixed use centers and um, commercial districts. But I would think that, you know, that would encompass whatever streets run through these. Like, for Mm -hmm. example, um, City Center DC is a really posh part of downtown where they built... Um, all these like, you know, um, retailers, like there's Tiffany's and Gucci and Hermes, um, or Hermes, I don't know how to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think there will be concerns that, you know, there'll be people in poor neighborhoods that get busted for open container laws, and then you have these posh areas where you can just have a free for all, or is it just like whatever supports the industry and the recovery is fine. Like the more, the better. Let's just get people out. Amanda, that sounds like a question that you can answer also. (laughs) (laughs) Just asking Gabe's opinion. I think there will be concerns for sure. I mean, we just by the nature of DC, we are a regulatory town. We are a very media dense town. Um, People, the watchdogs are going to have their eyes on this. There's already been mention of that in the stories that are being written about this, this early that, you know, it does create equity issues and also like it just creates enforcement issues, right? Like they're saying that the rules are you can only drink um, what you buy from restaurants there, but we know people are going to bring in flasks or people are going to bring in their own drinks. And then it becomes, well, police or security, who are they stopping? And there's typically some inherent bias there based on um, arrest figures and whatnot. So I would imagine this is going to create some inequity. Um, one countermeasure, though, that's that's really cool. That's part of this is, um, you know, the bar piece and these commercial districts. That's what's most interesting to us as eater. But it's not the full focus of the bill. There's another provision in there that is going to incentivize grocery stores to open in um, two wards in D.C., Ward Seven and Eight more on the southeast um, side of the city across the Anacostia River, which are more, um, you know, lower income areas. um, And they are historically food deserts and underserved areas. So the mayor's including um, stipulations that say, 
if you open a new full service grocery store, we're going to allow you to sell alcohol there and bring in 25% of your sales from alcohol. And so we're creating a license that does that. And anywhere that wants that type of grocery store, um, eventually you could open it in other areas of the city if you open in Ward 7 and 8 first. So that seems like a pretty cool provision. But again, this is very early. I'm not sure um, after all the hemming and hawing and influence peddling what this is going to look like in its final Mm -hmm. version. Well, speaking of peddling, whatever gets us closer to having those bachelor bachelorette parties with the <laughs> the like bike things where everyone's yeah. drinking in the middle of the street that are rolling. I'm all I'm all on board for that. Yeah, I don't see those on the streets, but we have the boats. Oh, we have nice. the yeah. boats that go on the river. So. All right. Well, Gabe, thank you for keeping an eye on this and um, let us know how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And until then, I will keep illegally drinking in the park. Awesome. (laughs) Bye, Gabe. (laughs) I think there's going to be plenty of time for us to look at the downsides of these kinds of regulations, but open things up. Let people do it. Let people drink in public. You know, there were some cities where it took them so long to legalize to go cocktails. I remember. Do you remember we talked to Ashok on the show and we'd been doing it in New York for like six months and he was all amped because he got his first one in Chicago. In in Chicago. There are still some cities in the U.S. where you you can't do it. I think Minnesota, Portland just allowed it. It's like, guys, help these bars out a little bit. I think it'll be really cool. Uh, the opportunity for all these bars to have their own cups and you'll be able to like walk around and see where everyone got, Oh, where's your Negroni (laughs) from? Oh, cool. How is it? I'm, I mean, I might go for that. Not that I'm, you know, I'm not going to go for that, but you know. Okay. There was a story this week, Daniel, that Subway is being sued because it's tuna sandwiches are not made of actual tuna. Allegedly. Uh, the Washington Post reported that their tuna salad sandwiches are actually made of some kind of concoction. Uh, Subway denies this, but the lawsuit says they are made from a mixture of various concoctions that do not constitute tuna, yet have been blended together by defendants to imitate the appearance of right. tuna. Multiple lab samples of the filing allegedly found no trace of tuna nor fish wait, wait, at wait, all. Wait, 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 wait. They found no trace of fish? They said no trace of fish. So, But Subway is fighting this. They're denying it. They say it's all tuna. We don't know what it, this is about. Yeah, it scares me. Yeah. So there, it's still kind of a mystery It right scares now. me even that they said it, it does not, it would not constitute tuna as if they would be like, eh, if it's 70%, we'll let you fly. Well, it's, interestingly enough, Subway has been sued in Canada because their chicken is only... chicken, the chicken strips. And what was the rest of it? The other chicken dishes were 53.6% chicken. So there is a precedent here. That counts breading and stuff also though, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's why I can imagine the strips. Yeah, of course your fried chicken is maybe only... I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of a lot of breading going on there. But it's it's a pretty low percentage, even considering that. But it, it's funny just because this keeps <laughs> happening to Subway. I don't know if you remember that in Ireland, yeah. they can't call their bread bread because it has too much sugar in it. Yeah, it's a, when it rains, it pours for them. There's a lawsuit. When was that? In t- 2015, because their footlongs are actually 11 inches long. <laughs> I guess it's not really when it rains, it pours. It's, it's more like <laughs> if you live in a constantly raining climate, it's going to keep raining. <laughs> <laughs> 
if your bread isn't bread, it, you're going to keep getting called on it. Tuna as a category scares me initially, or to begin with, like I, there's, I, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of fraud in the supply chain when it comes to fish. So I think they could point their fingers at that too. Sometimes you think you're buying tuna, you're not getting tuna, but it is it is a little worrisome. Nothing at Subway is what it seems. <laughs> Who knows? It was really funny. I saw someone tweet this article from the Washington Post. Uh, it was the food writer Anna Hazel, and all of her mentions were like, oh, God, now I have to subscribe to the Washington Post, <laughs> you know, because you have to pay to read the article. And everyone really wanted to know, what is it if it's not oh, tuna? Man. Sadly, they don't reveal the answer. <laughs> so all those subscriptions just wasted. For nothing. They really, really tricked tricked everybody into paying for the newspaper. <laughs> what What percentage of tuna would you be comfortable with in your Subway sandwich? Only a hundred? Oh yikes! <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would really prefer a hundred percent. But you know what? I know I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm realistic. Like if if I'm eating Subway, I'm assuming this is like. Well, there's mayonnaise in my sandwich, so I'm gonna assume maybe it's like ten percent other ingredients. And then if it turns out there's ten to twenty percent mystery, I'm okay with that. I'm at Subway. I think I'm gonna avoid Subway. But somehow, like the salami and stuff, seems like a safe bet. Sure, well, I mean, if you're, yeah, if you're, if you're going for it, I guess go for it. Have you had subway moments in your life? I had a subway moment when I was in college. In high school, I had a moment where I had a job where I would just like have subway would be my my sandwich. Italian with cheese, double toasted, so the edges of the salami get curled and browned a little bit. I mean, I've definitely had the tuna salad sandwich. It's not. I knew something was wrong with you. It's not healthy food. I think part of it is also, remember they had that big campaign that they were a health food spot when they had that guy, Jared, who lost all the weight. And so it was this big thing. If you too just eat a Subway sandwich every day, you will lose weight. Then it turned out he was like trading child pornography. It's just like just yeah. bad for Subway. Maybe they're just the unluckiest fast food brand. Yeah, but maybe, maybe they're... They deserve it. Uh, I mean, I don't blame them for Jared's. No, uh, no, I don't. They don't deserve Jared. No one, no one deserves that. <laughs> Although maybe they were like choosing between two spokesmen, and he was just cheaper. And then you know you get what you pay for a little well, bit. Well, he had the story. He had the personal connection. He lost all that weight. I think I, I, you can separate the diet from the man. Also, though, right? Like his, his personal disgusting personal life doesn't change the fact that he ate a sandwich every day and lost a bunch of weight <laughs> yeah you'd be a good pr person for them well that's still wild it's like hey we know our guy really like, messed guys, up here guys guys but, but don't forget about still... what really matters <laughs> he still lost the weight though you remember, remember that famous belt image yeah still counts amanda let's wrap up there was a big story well i don't big i don't know big it's big i guess whatever I jenny's it's not big, but it's big. I mean, Jenny's ice cream, which, you know what? We've talked about this before. Widely is getting to a point where a lot of people will say that Jenny's is the best ice cream. Like that is, mm -hmm. you know, you're hearing that. Salt and straw, you're also hearing that. But salt and straw has gotten really big recently. Either way, Jenny's came out with everything bagel flavored ice cream. And, you know, I think occasionally companies will just get these big wins where it just mm -hmm. like strikes the right chord and everything bagel ice cream struck a chord. I think it's just like quote unquote gross enough where it's jarring, but it's not gross enough that everyone wants to try it still. 
You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. kind of in that perfect range, but yeah, huge, you wanna, huge you, win for them. You're curious. Yeah, exactly. Huge win because everybody's talking about it? Yeah. 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 I was surprised. The, I mean, the onion, the dehydrated onion and garlic kind of scares me a little bit. Um, R- Ryan Sutton had a good point in Slack where he said that uh, the problem with this is that the the topping is great on the bagel itself. Uh-huh. So the ice cream is simulating the cream cheese, but you're missing that like crusty bread component. Oh, so you need to put it on a bagel. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that like it because people like the kind of savory sweet line. Well, I'll tell you what. Flaky salt with sesame seeds and poppy seeds already. Like sold. I'm so sold for that. Yeah. yeah. But I guess, I, I guess, yeah, it just depends on on how much of these kind of uh, these aromatics, what kind of dehydrated aromatics mm-hmm. are going in there. And yeah. uh, it seems like they're going in. For what it's worth, gun to my head, what ice cream in the world would I want to try right now? And it's that one. Hands down. Easy. No question. Because you're asked. so curious. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just caught, I'm just caught up. You know, I'm easy. <laughs> like the question, the person has the gun to your head and they're like, what ice cream do you want the most? Or is right it now. like, what new flavor do you want to try the most? Oh, see, here's the thing about me. It's the same question. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Like no matter what, what's at the top of my list is always the thing I'm most curious about. Like if you're like, what do you want the most right now? It would always be, yeah, the, the new thing that I haven't tried rather than my favorite restaurant of a million years. Cool. A little foray into my psyche. For the end of the show, Amanda. Great, we great, wrap? great ending. Great wrap. Okay, Actually, well. Actually, I will say I don't think our rap was as strong as we were when we were rolling in the middle of that. But you know what? What sometimes in podcast life, that's, that's what happens. Uh, for any listener that made it to the end, I'm sure they'll forgive <laughs> us. Uh, anyway, thank everyone. you, Daniel. It's everyone who's listening right now. Thank you, Daniel, for being here. Thank you to Bill Esparza. Thank you to Gabriel Hyatt. And announcement for our, our dedicated listeners who made it all the way to the end. We are going to be off next week, and we will be back the following week. We are going to an every other week cadence at the Digest here. <laughs>